insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. All right, we are back. This is our three. And the number is the same, 888-914-9149. You can call that number now. We actually have a line open, amazingly. Uh, let's see now. You have a note here that came in from Katie. She says, can you explain what plenary indulgences are and give a few examples? Uh, yeah, here's the easiest way to handle that. Cyrus, was it day before yesterday? I think no, it was. No, it was, it was yesterday. And yesterday. Here, I'm going there right now. Relevant radio slash Patrick. Relevantradio.com slash Patrick. And then on yesterday's show, hour one, uh, I have it time stamped. So it makes okay. it super, super easy for you to find it. Hour one, right at the 30, pretty much the 36 minute mark. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I'm sorry, so every the 31 minute mark. 31 minute mark. Is that your final answer? It is my final answer. <laughs> so, yeah, there is, it would be so much easier just to go there and listen to it. I spoke about that topic for several minutes. And uh, so everything you ever wanted to know about indulgences, but were too afraid to ask, you'll find it. Where is it, Cyrus? Yesterday's show? Relevantradio.com slash Patrick. Yesterday's show. You can also find the podcast on the Relevant Radio app. And if you don't have the app, why don't you have the app? It's free. That's right. That's right. Super duper. Thank you, Cyrus. How about Norm now in Massachusetts? Hi, Norm. Hi, Patrick. I've spoken to you in the past, but this year I'm going to be married 50 years. Congratulations. Um, but, yeah, but it hasn't been easy. Um, I've had to deal with infidelity on my wife's mm-hmm. part. A number of times I'm speaking to that, that girl that called about her brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, today I study God's word. It's one of the things Christ is the only answer. It's the only way to resolve this. And in, in the book of Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And when I used to look at that, I'm thinking, what does that mean? I'm going to learn to forgive this woman? How do I do that? Like, what mm-hmm. she did to me, she hurt me so deeply. And it didn't this happen once, Patrick? It happened mm-hmm. a few times. It's probably one of the most difficult things when trust has been broken to restore. And both parties have to have a heart to really see Christ. Yeah. And if that is not there, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. My wife has been truly sorry for it. I love her. She's a beautiful girl, and she is both beautiful inside and outside. I'm very lucky that the Lord restored our marriage. But it took time for me to heal, time for me to trust. She had to show me she was going to rebuild that trust. It wasn't me that had to do it. She had to mm-hmm. prove that to me. And that was difficult. It was How very did she difficult, do that? Can you give any ways that she was able yeah, to demonstrate um, that? Just constantly, there's time she told me she was so sorry, she wanted to hurt me. Um, just constant communication. Hey, I'm on my way home from work, this, that. A lot of communication. And we listened to a lot of marriage series together from all different avenues. Everything we could mm-hmm. listen to them. We prayed together. It was one of the most important things. I used to hold her hand in the beginning. I remember saying, Lord, Teach me how to love this woman like you love the church and forgive her because I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. It was a process of years of working things out. This happened like 20-something years ago. On this June, it'll be 50 years. But it's one of the most difficult things. I think what it did to me was it affected me emotionally. There's no doubt about it. It's not easy. It's not an easy mm-hmm. thing. But, you know, having kids, I had a child at the time, then another one. What do we do? Do we destroy the whole family and everything else? And so... How does it going to be for this man to forgive her? 
I think it's what Christ wants us, show forgiveness, because what does the Scripture say? How can we not forgive when we've been forgiven so much? How do I not forgive her when I've been forgiven so much of things I've done wrong before I was married? Mm-hmm. How do I not open my heart up to that? So it's one of the most difficult things you're going to do, but if you really both open your heart to Christ, it's going to be the most rewarding things that you've ever done in life. Yes, and what an important tie-in you're making, Norm. I mean, this is a victory if ever there were one, so congratulations to you and to your wife in a roundabout sort of way, but um, you're pointing out the truth about how God will heal marriages when both parties want the marriage to be healed and are willing to right. fight for it. Yeah, well, God bless you, Norm. I, I recognize your voice. Yeah, we have talked before. I'm glad when you called in before, and I'm glad you called in today. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's a painful memory for you, but an important one for people to hear. Thank you. Hmm. Let's go to uh, Tracy now in Merle's Inlet, South Carolina. That sounds very tropical, very balmy. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Patrick. I wonder if you could tell me what the Catholic Church teaches on the rapture, and also if there is any kind of a a video um, by someone that you would recommend on the subject um, in a, you know, in a Catholic way so that I could share mm-hmm. this with my teenager. Oh, there are some good, good resources. So one book I would recommend is by Carl Olson. Do you have a pen handy? I do. Okay. So Carl Olson is the author. The book is called, Will Catholics Be Left Behind? And it's one of a number of Catholic books that came out within the last 20 years or so. And it was in the midst of the success of the Left Behind books and the Left Behind movies that were basically the books made into a movie. And all the hysteria and misunderstanding about what Protestants, not all, but many Protestants think of as the pre-tribulation rapture. So it's a very thorough, comprehensive book that goes through all of the Bible verses that are commonly used to support this notion of a pre-tribulation rapture, and he debunks them. So that's the essence of the book. It's, it's quite good. Now, you can say this much, and I think in short form this is, this is good for people to be aware of. There is not going to be a pre-tribulation rapture in which, during the time of the rise of the Antichrist, before things really get going, with the persecutions, the tribulation, that notion, the mistaken notion holds that God's people will be raptured out of this world, taken to heaven, will be safely out of the way, and everybody who is not one of God's true followers, one of Jesus's true followers, will be left behind. And everybody who is left behind will experience the full force of the Antichrist persecution, etc., etc., the Bible definitely does not teach that. And every single last one of the different Bible verses that the pre-trib rapture people promote um, it can be easily shown to not be referring to a pre-tribulation rapture. Rather, what we see by way of a rapture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So I would encourage you to read that chapter. But the key section is found in beginning of verse 13. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, referring to those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord. So he's here referring to people who are alive on the last day, on the day of the return of Jesus. So we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord, this is verse 16, for the Lord will himself descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, here's the key part, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the end of the chapter. The key is the phrase, shall be caught up together. Now, when St. Jerome translated the original Greek of this epistle from St. Paul into Latin, the word, the verb that he used to, to translate this is rapiemur. Now, that word means to be caught up or snatched away. And that's where, from that Latin word that St. Jerome used to translate for the Catholic Bible, the Catholic Vulgate, that's where the word rapture in English, derives. So this idea of God's people being caught up into the air, to be raptured up, translated, you might say, from, from time into eternity, that's the passage where this idea comes from, and that's what St. Paul describes. So there will be a rapture, but it will be on the last day. It will be when Christ returns to judge the nations, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and all the things that are described in the book of Revelation, that's when this happens. It's on the very last day. Anything else that purports to be the rapture and the different verses people use, one will be taken, one will be left, etc., all of them, to the extent that, that they actually do have some connection to the rapture, they all refer to this one that will take place at the very end. And even the word rapture comes from this verse. So I can sort of sim simply, or sum I can summarize simply the net gain that you'll find in that book by Carl Olson. There are many verses that he, that he looks at. This is one of them. But even just this is enough to know that that's the kind of rapture that the Bible talks about. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Very good. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You very much. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Check out that book, and um, there are indeed videos. In fact, I think he's even done some videos available on YouTube on the topic. You can look up his um, videos by name. Thank you. Let's go to Joshua now in Central Ohio. Hi, Joshua. Hi, Patrick. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Stephen Pinker's work. He's a psycholinguist at Harvard. I'm afraid uh, he's a psycholinguist at Harvard from before they self-immolated. And one of <laughs> which his time, main theses, which self-immolation are we talking about? They've done several lately. <laughs> they have. Um, he has argued, especially in his book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, that we are living in the most peaceful era of human existence. And through over 200 pages of citations, he documents this massive historical decline of violence. Um, there are also arguments in his book, Enlightenment Now, as well as Michael Shermer's book, The Moral Art, arguing that we're actually becoming more moral as well as less violent. Okay. 
I'm listening. And I'm just wondering what you make of those arguments. Well, I would need to review them in order to be able to comment intelligently. I haven't read any of these things, so I don't have a comment on those. Um, I'm prepared to to look at the statistics and see what they say. And I mean, just anecdotally, I guess I would say if we consider the wars that racked Europe, for example, and involved the United States in the case of World War One and World War II, uh, since really since right around 1960, uh, the United States at least has not been involved in any major war. Yes, we were in Vietnam. Uh, yes, we were in Afghanistan, but the the number of casualties, let's say from Vietnam forward or after Vietnam, the number of casualties were very low by comparison to the staggering casualties in earlier wars. Um, now we have yeah, even even the sorry. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was just gonna, I was just going to say we have of course seen countless wars. Um, all around the country and in terrible things that have gone on where hecatombs of people have been killed as primarily if you want to look at the numbers by communism. Um, so we can't discount that. I don't know regarding the things that you're talking about, if they're taking into account the statistics globally or just the U.S. or what their thesis is. I need to look at it. Well, so homicide is a really good proxy for violence because the okay. definition of homicide mm-hmm. is pretty stable, state to state and country to country. Okay. And I mean, just taking a long arc of history, if you look at pre-state societies, they had homicide rates often exceeding 500 homicides per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Now in the West, we're around four homicides per 100,000 people. Um, but even if you look at statistics on child abuse, on domestic violence, um, or battle deaths, as you suggest, I mean, they're just all mm-hmm. down across the board. How do they account for the terrible violence and deaths of abortion, numbering into the many tens of millions? Did they include that in the body count? They did not. I thought you'd bring that up, though. The point I would make is that if you want to turn back the clock of time, so when we had many fewer abortions, you're also going to get an infant mortality rate of something like 50%. So I don't think that's a good trade. Well, first of all, I didn't propose that. You did. No, um, I know I'm not saying you did. But. Okay. But what do you mean turn the clock back? I mean, I'm not sure what you're saying. And I'm not arguing with you. I just want to understand what you're saying. It, it sounded as though you meant that if we turned the clock back and forfeited all of our medical state-of-the-art abilities, uh, that the mortality rate would go up. But assuming that we maintain the current state-of-the-art of medicine, there's no reason to think that we would suddenly have this spike in infant mortality if we were to successfully do away with abortion. I don't see that correlation. Can you explain that no, to me? I, no. So I agree with that, but I would also point out that you have not demonstrated an ability to halt abortion or anything like it in America. I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? I have not demonstrated the ability. I thought you were asking me if I was familiar with the findings of these two authors. Now I'm on trial for not being able to do what now? (laughs) No, I'm saying that it has not been demonstrated that the pro-life movement can reduce the numbers of abortions in modern society to the levels at which they used to be. Now, maybe it is possible, but it's, it certainly hasn't been demonstrated 
You know why? Because abortion has been legal in this country, and so there's there's no barrier to it. Had there been a barrier legally, let's say, um, then I think it would be self-evidently true that the number of abortions would go down. Look at the states right now, Joshua, where abortion is effectively banned. Uh, in those states, the number of abortions has dwindled dramatically because the women who are seeking abortions either wind up not having them or they go to a state where they're permitted. Yeah, but you've also had generally conservative states like my state, Ohio, mm-hmm. that just wrote the right to abortion into the Constitution. And there has been a about two-thirds majority of Americans for decades now who support some access to abortion. So I don't think it's a political reality to suggest that you're going to be able to, not you personally, but that you're going to be able to bring the numbers of abortions down to the numbers we would have had a century ago. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not here to argue with you, Joshua. I'm just not really sure what it is you're asking me. Well, I, I was just, I mean, I, I guess I got my answer because you haven't read the particular works. Um, I just wanted to suggest pursuant to your earlier conversation. Are, are you, forgive my interruption, is is what you're really saying that, you know, the pro-life project of trying to eliminate abortion is futile because it's not going to change anything, therefore let's not be seeking to put the brakes on abortion? I mean, is that is that the thesis underlying all of this? No, no, I'm not trying okay. to, I'm really not trying to focus on abortion. Okay. Um, I'm just saying that I don't think you can use that as a point against the argument being made by Steven Pinker, unless you can demonstrate. <laughs> when did I, that, when did I ever do that or say that? I didn't say that. Okay. In other words, it sounds as though, and here's maybe I'm just not understanding you. It sounds as though you're accusing me of using a faulty argument when I've never made such an argument. Not at all. Here's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to suggest that whether this is the most peaceful era of human existence or not compared to some other era, we have so much to be grateful for in the modern times that we have, so much to love about our modern decadent society. And I think most people... um, because of the news, because of the frequency heuristic, they fail to recognize and be grateful for everything that we have. Okay, um, fair enough. I won't. I won't dispute any of that. But how does that tie in with abortion? Well, because you're the one. Not, not not to forget that all of those little unborn boys and girls did not get anything in the bargain. They got death, violent death, typically. And uh, all the wonderful things that you and I benefit from, and I praise God for all those things, they got none of that. I mean, they did, right, we but, did, but they didn't. Wouldn't right, but say? we're not comparing this modern era to a future modern era where we have all the advances of modernity, but we've also solved the problem of abortion. We're comparing this modern era here and now to previous eras of human history. And so when you make that comparison, then you are making the trade-off of abortion versus infant mortality. Are you suggesting that we are better off today because of abortion? No, no, no. Okay. I'm saying that whether or not abortion counts against the analysis of our modern world, I don't think that 
that makes the modern situation any worse than previous situations because previous situations might not have had the same problem with abortion, but they had this other problem of high infant mortality. So there were still lots of infants being killed. Well, being killed is an operative phrase there doesn't mean it doesn't equate necessarily with infant mortality the high infant mortality was due primarily to disease and the lack of medicine and other problems nutrition among other things that's not the same thing as killing children sure. and i would dare if i had to guess i would dare say that the number of children who were outright killed would be a very small percentage of the total when you're accounting for infant mortality yeah i they, they, they die. I mean, I don't think it matters to the infant how it dies. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm not sure what you're saying here. I mean, it, it sure matters from a moral standpoint, doesn't it, if the child is being if, killed outright by abortion? If, matters, you are comparing, if, if you are comparing whether you would rather live in a modern society or in a society from 100 years ago, then sure, you might want to factor in abortion, but if you're going to factor that into how good the society is, and I don't mean morally good, just how desirable it is, then you also have to factor in the infant mortality rate. So my- okay, but, but, but please know, Joshua, history, I didn't raise any of these things in the first place. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying, hey, everybody, let's, let's compare. I mean, you brought this to me, and I'm trying to process it. That's fair. I mean, that's a fair thing. But it's not as though I said, hey, Joshua, guess what? It would be so much better if we could go back to the olden days. That's a thesis that I haven't proposed. It's a hypothetical that you're raising, but my impression is that you want me to defend something that I haven't even proposed in the first place. No, I, I mean, I, I sense that you're feeling like I'm trying to attack you. I'm really not. I'm just trying to follow up on the conversation you had earlier with the woman who was concerned that you know, the society we have today, the world we've created for us today mm -hmm. can't get much worse. I mean, how could it get any worse? She was asking. And you made the point that actually there have been other eras of human history that are worse. And I'm just suggesting that I agree with all of that. I remember that. And that mm -hmm. there aren't many eras of human history that have been better. Yeah, and I, as I recall, now I know the, the call you're referring to, I did say that there's a lot of great things going on now, many good things that we can be grateful for. Right. I'm, I'm glad I live in the era of Advil and air conditioning. <laughs> we, you know, all of human history, for all those who knows how many tens of thousands of years when people didn't have those kind of amenities, but we do. It's pretty amazing. You know, this is an important question that you're asking, Joshua. It took me a while to figure out what exactly you were driving at. But how about this? I have, I'm way overdue for a break. Please consider yourself welcome to call me anytime. And if you call early in a segment and we can get you on the air, we'll have more time to dig into it. Sound good? All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for listening in Central Ohio. We'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Santi, who's listening in Maine, for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. Classy. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com car. 
That's relevantradio.com slash car. Hello? Hi, good morning, Patrick. It sounds like you're on a speakerphone. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Just everybody, please, no speakerphones, no Bluetooth. It becomes difficult to hear. We have to mainline on this program so that everything sounds good. One more time, no speakerphones, no, speaker no Bluetooth. No speaker no Bluetooth. No speaker Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh you found another one i gotcha that was good uh king harvest dancing in the moonlight very good very let me good. hear that again i love that that's great all right oh helps if i have the compelling insights in unpredictable conversations encouragement for your day it's the patrick madrid show on relevant radio Oh, that is so perfect. You want to just start singing along, right? Yes, you want that resolution, and it's just not there. That's great. Well done, Cyrus. <laughs> that's you going done to, good. You've done real good. That's going in the wind column. I love it. Well done. Okay, let's go to Eric now in Ham Lake, Minnesota. Hi, Eric. Uh, hi, Patrick. I have a couple of hypothetical scenarios I'd like your opinion okay. on. Related Today's to the day for hypothetical scenarios, that's for sure. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, so say there's a woman who is not pregnant, but she's living a lifestyle where she could become pregnant and she doesn't want the baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, could a, like a Catholic couple make a deal with her before she becomes pregnant? Like, uh, if you do get pregnant, we'll adopt your baby. Yes. Now you'd obviously not want to phrase it in such a way that would encourage her to do something sinful that would result in pregnancy. Um, if she knew you, that you and your wife, let's say, who were friends and were looking out for her, hey, if you know, if you ever find yourself in trouble or with a difficulty, just let us know and we'll do whatever we can to help you. Yeah, something like that maybe. But I wouldn't incentivize her or, or propose, propose is probably not the right word, but I wouldn't suggest to her, hey, you know what, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you ever get pregnant... Uh, will adopt the baby. I wouldn't phrase it that way. But if she knows that you're genuine friends and you will do whatever you can to help her, I don't think it needs to be said out loud that that might include adopting a baby because you wouldn't want her to be thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll go, and you know what I mean? I'll go do such and such. I wouldn't want to start those wheels turning. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um I mean, what if I said to you, hey, Eric, check it out. You know what? Um, I'm trying to think of an analogy, and I can't think of one right off the top of my head. But it, let's say it was something that, you know, you might think of doing that would be sinful, knowing that there would be somebody standing by to to help you take care of the results of that. It might be more of a temptation for you to go and do the sinful thing, knowing that you've got somebody there to help mm -hmm. you. That's what I'm driving at. Yeah. Okay, what was the second scenario? Um, so say, instead of like a woman living in a bad lifestyle, it's like there's this woman who wants to uh, 
adopt embryos, but not like actually raise the baby. Could uh, have a couple um, adopt her uh, her baby or. Well, a born baby, yes. Uh, an embryo, no. The church says currently that the moral problem of, let's say, your wife receiving an embryo that was conceived in vitro by another couple, that that would be immoral. And um, so the answer, I think, would be no. Now, it seems in reading the literature and reading the statements that the church has made on this topic, and there are not many of them, the wording is sufficiently open-ended that it suggests to me that maybe there will be some fine-tuning on that, and maybe the church would say at some point, under certain circumstances, even though it's far from ideal and would ordinarily be a problem, it would not be a problem if a wife or if a woman were to adopt an embryo. But that hasn't happened yet. That's purely hypothetical. So as far as we're concerned right now, no. Does that make sense, Eric? I think so. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad I could be of service today. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Marty Bell now in Orlando. Hi, Marty Bell. Hi, Patrick. I have a question for you. Okay. So I know that you have spoken about uh, why Catholics prefer uh, burial instead of cremation. And I was wondering if you can speak to that again. Why? I'll try to do that briefly. So the, um, the church's traditional method is burying bodies in the ground. It's not always possible, but if it's possible, that's the church's preference because it, it's in keeping with the uh, the proper respect, the proper disposition of the body. Now, in the case of a baptized Christian, that body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's a special respect that's due to that. So the Holy Spirit indwelled, God himself indwelt that body during the time of that person's life. So... Although the church does not uh, does not prefer cremation and does not recommend cremation and discourages cremation even, nonetheless, the church lately, at least in the last few decades, has relaxed its prohibition and says that Catholics, if they choose to do this, cremation that is, and not for a reason that would try to disprove the general resurrection, as some have done before, that the church will permit it. It doesn't encourage it, though. And for me, just to add my little footnote to that, to me it seems wrong to destroy the body this way. I mean, to proactively destroy it. That's what cremation involves. You're destroying the body. So better, it seems to me, to let the body go back to the ground and decompose over time, and that's that. It it will go back to dust in any case. But I would prefer that as opposed to the thought of destroying the body. Um, and, and that's something, too, to consider. There's, um, there's a meaning in our bodies. Our bodies have meaning. And, and there, there's a lot that could be said about this. But I know that right now cremation is all the rage and many people are doing it for financial reasons. And I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I certainly don't recommend it. I certainly don't right. recommend cremation. Great. Thank you Am so I much. answering your question? Was that what you wanted to know? Yes. Thank you very okay. much. Okay. Thank you. Uh, how about Lisa now in Austin, Texas? Good morning, Lisa. Hi, Patrick. I have a Hi. question. Um, I was in an RCIA meeting and we were talking about Pentecost. Okay. And the teacher said something to the effect of, 
were there actually tongues of fire over their heads or were they actually speaking in all these different languages that they didn't know? And she said something to the effect of, I don't know. You don't have to believe that that happened, but something happened and a lot of people were converted. So my question is, do we have to believe that the miracle as described in the scripture actually occurred? Yes, and, of course you do. Just, of course you do. Okay. Yeah. So this is biblical revealed truth and it, it explains to us the phenomenon with with a description, it says that that the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, came upon them and rested upon them in the in the form of flame. Uh, was that above their heads? Usually in in Catholic art, it's portrayed as like a fire in the air above the head, and maybe that's what it looked like. Maybe not. We don't have the precise details beyond that basic description, but that is a real historical event. It really happened. They really did experience that, and they saw fire. So yes, we are we are to believe that. Just as we are to believe, to use a parallel, that Jesus fed thousands of people by performing the miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fish. Some people just poo-poo that and they say, oh, that was, that didn't really happen. The real miracle was that the people shared their food with each other. Well, that's not a miracle. I've shared my food with people before and that's not a miracle. So it really did happen that Jesus multiplied loaves and fish miraculously and fed thousands of people it really did happen that in the upper room, Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit came upon the inhabitants of the upper room, and they perceived his presence under the appearance of tongues of fire. Yes, that really did happen, and we, we are to believe it. Okay, well, thanks so much. You know, it just seemed like it was opening the door for a lot of doubt in the truth of the Scripture, and I just was like, it just didn't seem right, right to me. Right. And if, if we were to say, you're right about that, Lisa, and, and if you extend it um, to its absurd logical conclusion, then we could apply that to everything. Well, God wasn't really born in the form of a man in the manger. That didn't really happen. That's just a moral tale. And, you know, Jesus didn't really exist. And that means, of course, there was no actual crucifixion. It didn't really happen. He didn't really rise from the dead if he ever did exist. Everything could be completely dismissed as just a moral tale if somebody bites into that bad apple and says, well, this didn't really happen or that didn't really happen. Everything suddenly then comes into question. And so the church has always said, no, the gospel accounts are true. They are real. They describe actual historical persons and events, and it's revealed biblical truth, and we are obliged to believe it. Thankfully, there's plenty of evidence that supports it, but we believe it on faith because God is the one who reveals it to us. And it's nice that there's supporting evidence, but yes, we are called to believe these things because they're true. Okay, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Appreciate the call. Uh, how about Dave now in southern Ohio? How south in Ohio are you? Can you see the Ohio River from your front porch, Dave? No. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, I'm near Cincinnati. I'm in, in southern Ohio, though. Where gotcha. I'm, from. I'm glad to have you on the program, Dave. Thank you. Um, I have a question about my son. He was raised as a Christian. He went forward in church, and we took him... To church every Sunday and found out later in life that he he's gay and he married a man and he's broken off uh, all um, communication with his mother and me uh, he does talk to his sister some but um, 
he he explained it to my wife that why would he ever choose to be like this? Uh, it's a difficult life uh, being gay in this area. And he said, why would I ever choose that? He believes that he was born that way. And he is a Christian. He did go forward and, and accept mm-hmm. the Lord. But I was just wondering if he's still a Christian. Yeah. What a what a heartbreaking situation, Dave. My heart goes out to you and your wife. And I'm, I'm sorry that this is happening. But I know you love your son and that you want the best for him. You want him to be happy. So one thing I can suggest is keep telling him the truth in love. And even though he's cut off communication with you, of course, that's not your fault. That's his fault. He has turned away because he doesn't want to hear it from you and your wife. So uh, is he still a Christian? Well, I would say he's a backslidden Christian. You know, he's, he's a Christian who's gone into serious sin. But the Lord can restore him if he is willing to, to repent and to change his life. And that can happen. Um, there is a resource. Um, I have to take a break, I'm afraid, Dave. But let me offer you a resource that I think will help you. It's called uh, Courage. Courage. Their website is couragerc.org. Couragerc.org. And they have a lot of resources for parents like yourselves of sons and daughters who are homosexual. But if he is ever willing to consider the fact that he's living a terribly immoral lifestyle, uh, that can be a, a website that will give him we information and encouragement. Uh huh. What's that? We took we took him to counseling, and uh, the counselor said we need to stop taking him there because he was considering suicide. So we stopped doing that. Yeah, unfortunately, that is a common playing card that people will use to try to silence people like you or cow them into submission or or it's a it can be and often is a form of of extortion kind of emotional extortion uh, if you keep telling me the truth if you keep telling me that I, what i'm doing is wrong i'm going to commit suicide and it's it's a terrible ploy and i see that happen a lot so uh, i'm overdue for a break dave my forgive me on that but i would recommend check out Check out CourageRC.org, CourageRC.org. And there's a particular movie that they produced in which people who are homosexual talk about how they're making an effort to live in a chaste way. It's called Desire of the Everlasting Hills. And you can see that movie, and maybe he'll see that movie too if you send it to him. Check it out and hang in there, and I'll be right back. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. All right, let's go to Betty in Miami. Good morning, Betty. Hello, Betty. <laughs> Betty's busy. Sorry, Betty, we tried. Let's go to Rhonda in Dubuque, Iowa. Good morning, Rhonda. 
Good morning. I wrote it down so I can do it fairly quickly. Can you okay. give me some tips on how to start my prayers, especially in the morning and when I wake up or when I go to bed at night? How do I address, who do I address? Jesus, Mary, the saints, God? I feel overwhelmed with confusion mm. of who to start with. And then the second thing is, when I pass, will Jesus present me to God? I'm confused because Jesus is God, but Jesus prayed to God. So I always strive to be a person who Jesus will be proud of me. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's the name of the game, as they say. That's a beautiful sentiment, Rhonda. We'll come to that. So the first thing is, um, I would propose that you get the relevant radio app on your phone. Do you already have that on your phone? I I don't have I don't have the um, knowledge to use the phone that way, so I don't okay. have an app. It's so easy. Um, do you by I know, chance? I, I, uh-huh. I have MS, so it gets confusing to me that kind of stuff. So I, I okay. get frustrated. Okay. So. okay, fair enough. So if if the relevant radio app isn't suitable for you, and just as an aside, it is a very good prayer resource. We have a section just on prayer, and we have basic prayers, prayers before mass, devotions, so your daily prayers and things. But if that's not good for you, I would recommend a book. It's published by the Midwest Theological Forum, and it's called Handbook. Uh, what is it? Handbook of. I'll have to look it up, but I'll try to announce it a little bit. So, do me a favor. Look this up for me. Um, the author's last name is Socias. S O C I A S. I think James is his first name, and it's something like Handbook of Christian Prayers or something like that. Published Handbook by of Prayers. Handbook of Prayers, thank you, by James Socias? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. So that would be a fine prayer book that I would encourage anyone to take up. I've had my copy for many years, and um, it's just a beautiful compendium of prayers that'll get you through the day. Now, as far as who are you praying to, obviously, you're praying to God, first and foremost. He's the source of all blessings, and He deserves your your praise and glory and adoration, we also ask his friends, the saints, to pray for us, starting with the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the saints and angels. We ask them to pray for us, and we honor them, as, as Jesus said in John 17, Father, I have given them the glory that you have given to me. So we recognize what God has done in the lives of his saints, and we ask them for their prayers. So you are praying when you're adoring and worshiping God. You are praying to your Creator, And when you are asking his friends to pray for you, it's not as though you're ignoring God. You're asking his friends to pray for you. And there's countless examples in the Bible of St. Paul, for example, reminding us that he wants us to pray for him. I mean, the people who are alive during his day. He wants wants them to pray for him. So he was invoking their intercession. Ultimately, of course, all good things come from God. So if you just keep the Lord firmly at at the center of your attention, you can't go wrong. Now, who is going to present you to the Father? Well, we know that at the end of our lives, we will have an exit interview, as I call it, which means you will be judged by God, and then you will know if you're going to heaven or hell. So it seems that Jesus is the the person of the Trinity that you will encounter, but we have only a we only have a, a hazy understanding of what that means. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see through a glass darkly. We can't quite really see the details on the other side. But when we get to the other side, he says, then we will see him as he really is. So you will see God. 
if you are destined for heaven, and I suspect you are, uh, you, you will see God. Now, you may spend some time in purgatory, <clears throat> and your guardian angel will come and minister to you there, and the prayers of the people who are praying for you will help you. And eventually, when the time comes and you leave purgatory, you will go directly into the presence of God in heaven. That's what all the blessed in heaven are experiencing, which is far beyond anything we can imagine. Jesus prayed to the Father <clears throat> because Jesus is God and man. So in his human nature, uh, his human mind, his human will, his human intellect, his human body, etc., all of these things were subordinate to the Godhead. So when Jesus talks about praying to his Father, or we see him praying to the Father, um, it can be understood simultaneously in two ways. One is that the second person of the Trinity, God himself, is addressing his Father, the first person of the Trinity. We can also see that in his humanity, as a human being, also God, but as a human being, he's also addressing God in prayer that way. I think I've said about as much as I can in the short time that we've got, Rhonda, but I do hope that's helpful to you. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Betty now in Miami. We'll give Betty another try. Hello, Betty. Hi there. Hi there. Hi. I came to you earlier, but you were busy, so let's try it again. Yes, I was. Thank That's you for, okay. for, for holding. Um, sure. Thank you for the life-changing work that you and Cyrus do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Kind and, of you. Yes, it's a blessing. Changed my life. But anyway, I wanted to ask you, was uh, Russia consecrated to the Holy Mother? And also, um, I wanted to make a... Before we do that, you're talking about the Fatima request for con for the consecration, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, there is a dispute among Catholics who dispute about this. Some say that it was not the consecration that Our Lady requested, which was to consecrate Russia by name to her Immaculate Heart. Pope John Paul II consecrated the world to her Immaculate Heart, but took a step back from consecrating Russia by name. And there were pressures put upon him that it would destabilize um, the world and Russia would react negatively and, you know, all of those considerations. So all I can tell you is that there are two schools of thought on this. And one school of thought is the more mainstream one, which is that Sister Lucia herself in an interview at least once said that, yes, that this consecration as Pope John Paul II did it was sufficient, it was acceptable, etc. There are others who say that's not true, she didn't say that. It was an imposter. There are all sorts of wild speculations and theories to say that it didn't really happen. And I personally don't know. I can only go by what I read. So what I would suggest, Betty, if you're interested, a fairly recently released book that I read, I don't know, a month or so ago, is called uh, The Fourth Secret of Fatima. And it's by Antonio Socci, S-O-C-C-I. It's a very well-documented overview of this question of the consecration, but also the third secret of Fatima. So if that interests you, I recently read the book, and I think you might find it interesting. Um, did you say you had a second comment? Yes, I have a comment, but, but what is your opinion? Do you think it was based on the book, or, or you don't? You, I, don't you know I don't have a conclusion that I've drawn yet. Um, okay. I'm, I'm okay. still... Well, I, I wanted to make a comment, because the other day... On Father Simon's uh, rosary, there was a lady who has four children and she has MS, and she wasn't withstanding the treatments. And um, 
Afraid we won't have time to finish this, Betty. We're actually right against the, the break, so forgive me. Time ran out on us. I'm sorry about that. Um, but if you want to call another time, we can pick up where we left off. Uh, I do want to say um, thank you to all of you who are holding. Uh, I apologize we weren't able to get to you. Um, I do have a, maybe, can we do this? Uh, I don't think we can do it. I was going to say, Paul and Dayton, we might be able to squeeze you in, but we're already now at the time when the music's about to start playing. So how about this? Let's do it again real soon, real soon. And in the meantime, between now and then, just know that I'll be praying for you. And I ask you to please pray for me. Get that Relevant Radio app downloaded on your phone. And tell your friends and family all about Relevant Radio. We'll get everybody listening. It'll be great. Thank you for listening and God bless you.